At one of the anti-Israel rallies this week, let's put it more directly, at one of the anti-Jewish rallies this week, the chant was declared that we, meaning they, we're going to win this one because Jews consider life to start with life. So Jews are timid. We believe life starts with death, so we're strong. What do we really hold about that? This is Rabbi Yitzchak Price with another episode of Tahalus Talks. Growth-oriented, partial-related Torah podcast. We're up to the Torah portion of Lech Lecha, beginning the life and journey of Avram, soon to be Avraham, and his wife Sarai, soon to be Sarah. But we actually meet Avram at the end of last week's parsha, the end of Noach. Very brief description of Terach, Avram's father, and Avram's brothers, Haran and Nachor, and a verse toward the very, very end of the Parsha describing the death of Haran. Haran died in a place called ur Kasdim, And because Haran has died, when we meet Avram in this week's Parsha, he is taking care of his brother-in-law and nephew, Lot, Lot the son of Haran, fatherless at this juncture, tags along with Avram and becomes a significant player in several of the dramas that unfold later on in the Torah. But... When Haran died in Ur Kasdim, our sages tell us that Ur Kasdim refers to the flames of Kasdim. It's not just telling us where Haran died, it's telling us how he died. He died in a fiery furnace. Why is he in a fiery furnace? The Medrash describes Abraham, Avram, who had smashed his father's idols, was tried and prosecuted, and they determined he was to be executed for his having destroyed those idols and defamed the idolatrous pagans and pagan gods. And he was to be thrown into a fiery furnace. And Avram, what do you say for yourself? Are you still standing on board with your convictions or are you ready to accept our gods? Avram stands firm with his belief in the one true, all-powerful God and is tossed into the fiery furnace. We know a lot more about Avram after this story because God saved Avram miraculously. Avram comes out of that fiery furnace unscathed. Haran, who was observing all this, was one of those rare individuals who heroically had begun to think Avram-like. And he was willing to consider the possibility that Avram is correct. And when Avram comes out of that fire unscathed, Haran says, I'm with Avram. Oh yeah? Are you ready? to declare that you reject all of our gods and you accept that singular god of Avram and be tossed into the fiery furnace, Haran, yes, tossed into the fiery furnace and dies. Haran, who did not have the same conviction as Avram, whose faith in God is not firm until seeing this particular miracle, secured by that one miracle that's not considered absolute solid faith, he is still somebody we have to appreciate, at least was on the right direction, right path, had his attachment to that possibility of God, but not enough to save him from this fiery furnace. That's Haran. But I'd like to get back to Avram, because this story sheds fascinating light about Avram and raises a significant question about how we relate to Avram, because in this one expression, or kasdim, really that one word, or, the flames of kasdim, when we discover that Haran died, we discover that Avram was ready to die. Avram was ready to die 
because of his dedication to God and his unwillingness to abandon that dedication to God. And that would seemingly be a pretty big deal. Remember, Avram is doing this unprecedented. We have no record of anybody else ever being put to this test. And not knowing the end of the story, Avram did not know he's going to survive. And not having the likely applause of, of a society who are going to pay his family because he's a martyr for the cause. They're not going to get a payout and they're not going to get um, attention and uh, have their name put up on a square in some Palestinian village because of the fact that they're a martyr. Adam is going to do this, die a very lonely death. And he knows it's the right thing to do and he's ready to do it. And yet, this whole story is hinted to in just one word, or kasim, and not even in a verse talking about Avram. The best understanding that I've had of this came to me through a friend, and I may have referenced this once, actually, even earlier on, on a topless talk, but in light of today's discussion and going out in this world about our attitude of martyrdom and their attitude of martyrdom, I'd like to revisit this. A friend of mine described how years back, when he was uh, in his probably college or just pre-college days, he was backpacking through life, literally, on a journey, searching out, and ended up, like so many young Jews, at least spending a little time in Israel. Could have ended up heading from there to Nepal. Who knows where the next step could have been. But while in Israel, he was offered free lunch if you come to this Jewish seminar. Okay, worth a free lunch to listen to a seminar. And he's listening to a rabbi who's pretty engaging, who's addressing his audience about Jewish pride and Israel pride, and he asks the audience, so my friend is a member of the audience, group of, let's say, 15, 20 young American college-age Jews, would any of you be willing to give up your life for Israel or Judaism? And several students, admirably, lifted up their hands. Yes, if it came to that, I'd be willing to give my life for Israel or Judaism. How many of you would be willing to live your lives for Israel or Judaism? And here, the hands were wavering. Nobody had their hands solidly way up there like they did before. Some simply didn't. Others were like kind of, well, just, sir, what do you mean by that? What's involved? And the instructor turned back to them and said, wait a minute, you were ready to die for Israel or Judaism. Do you expect I'm thinking about anything that's worse than that? You've got some idea what Judaism is involved in. You've got some idea what it means to be standing up for Israel. What are you thinking, I'm thinking, that has you concerned, that you're not ready to put up your hand with a display of conviction? And the reality is, as this rabbi was teaching this class, we human beings have a barrier against committing to something which is life-changing more so than toward giving up life. We can be readier to give up life than to modify life. Rather stunning and rather illogical, yet rather commonly true. I have bounced this message off several audiences in the past since having heard this analogy, ranging from college groups to adult groups of, of all ages, uh, professional groups, and have found that the idea resonated with just about every one of them. 
Rarely do I actually do the test. I've done that sometimes and found similar end results, but everybody can relate to not being sure. Generally, I'm talking to groups that would be pretty ready to do something very significant for Israel or Judaism, but not ready to do something ongoing day in, day out. Not ready to do something that is going to modify how their life looks now vis-a-vis others. Yet Avram, after this test, which was huge, does the more significant tests pass the more significant tests and trials of readiness to live his life for God. Our parsha picks up with your readiness to change your life, to move on, to be in a new zone, new culture, new land, and the tests that follow are tests that are going to influence living beyond the moment. How he's going to deal with having to send away his son Ishmael and live with that decision for the years that are going to follow. And most of these tests are going to relate to elements that are going to be lingering. And that is a bigger deal than his readiness to give up his life, which is huge, but small in comparison to the others. So we focus our attention from Lech Lecha and on on the storyline of Avram. There was a debate among the commentaries whether to even count the previous one as one of the ten. And again, there are several factors that could go into that. The fact that it's more told us through the Medrash than the text itself could be one factor. But even those who count it acknowledge we're counting this as a test, as one of the tests that he passed, but that the degree to which the Torah has drawn our attention to it is petty compared to how much attention the Torah gives to the other tests. Judaism recognizes that there are times we have to give up our life for God. There are some situations where the right thing to do in the moment is to give up our life for God, but more significant is to live a life for God. Far more mitzvahs, far more situations, we are told, override and preserve your life rather than, um, I mean, violate and preserve your life rather than forfeit the life. There are very exceptional cases where we must forfeit our life rather than violate. And even in those, there is no um, goal of trying to maneuver things to make it work out that that's something that we can merit. If it comes to that, that is the midst of the moment. If it comes to that, that is huge. We call a person who experiences that a kadosh, a holy one, kiddush Hashem, sanctification of God's name, of the most significant things that anybody can ever do, but not something that we aim for. We aim for Kiddush Hashem, sanctification of God's name through how we live, rather than limit it to how we die. We, we do celebrate life, but fascinating, the life that we celebrate, the Chaim that we look for is a Chaim that's generally described in the plural. Chaim really means lives, because we always look at the here and the now as a staging ground for that eternal life. We recognize the concept of a world to come. We should be focused on the idea of the world to come. That should paint the determination of what we do in the here and the now, but we don't limit our living to that world to come. We don't exit this world to get to that world to come. We take advantage of every moment of life in this world to expand the reality of that world to come. We live a life of Chaim. We're constantly living this life, and we treasure this life. 
and we celebrate this life, recognizing that it's a piece of the lives that we live. Martyrdom has its place. It's not something we aspire toward. We recognize the greatness. We do celebrate those who made the right decisions and fortified life for the name of God. But the key in the here and the now is what we do with life and how we maximize the value of life and how we go out of our way to preserve life. Even where that life doesn't seem to be contributing, God forbid, a person who's in a situation where they can't do a single act on behalf of another individual. They're so restricted, so impaired, they can't even express themselves, articulate something. We still value every moment of their life. We would violate Shabbat to preserve such a life. We would tell, we would work it out to uh, preserve that life at all costs because life is of infinite value. And each moment of that infinite, this life living is creating outcomes in the world to come as well. Huge topic, but the concept of Chaim and living this life and taking advantage and seeing to it that we try to maximize this life in the here and the now and recognize that there is a truth of this painting, the outcome of what's going to be that future life. In so doing, in living a life where we understand the real tachlas, we talk about what's the real, real point. The real point is going to be beyond this life's experience. But we aim for that tachlas by doing things of tachlas right here and now. What am I doing that's of consequence now? How am I bettering somebody else's day? How am I seeing to it that I master God's Torah? How am I finding opportunities to further connect myself with the divine? living lives of Tachlis right now to secure the real Tachlis of that other half of Chaim in the world to come. Let's do that, and in so doing, be people who can truly claim to be aspiring to achieve our Tachlis.